Tonight on Huckabee, Dennis Prager fights for no safe spaces. David and Jackie Siegel's mission against opioid abuse and comedian Mark Christopher Lawrence perform. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Wilbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Uh, thank you so much. We have a great audience in our theater. Don't you wish you were with them? I hope you will be by getting your free tickets and coming and joining us here in Nashville. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you like being scammed, used, exploited, taken for a chump, played like a cheap fiddle? Yeah, I didn't think so. So let me help you understand how the media and some politicians are trying to manipulate you by using the term racist. Now, here's what the dictionary states as the definition of racism, and I quote, a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race, end quote. Now, think about that carefully. If a person believes that one's race is the primary factor in determining the abilities of a person, the worth of a person, or potential as a person, and that some races are inherently superior to others, that is, in fact, racism. Racism is thinking someone of another race isn't naturally as smart, moral, or able to achieve. It's thinking one's own race is just better and superior. It might manifest itself in forcing children of a different race into inferior schools, not allowing them into the same restaurants, hotels, theaters, sporting events, or churches. That is racism. And it's evil, immoral, sinful. Because to say God made people of another race, but he doesn't love one race as much as another, is a disgusting affront to his word. Racism is the belief of fools who understand God even less than they understand human beings. It's intellectually dishonest, it's morally repugnant, and it's indefensible. So when politicians or fake news anchors toss out the term racist to describe the president or anyone with whom they disagree, here's the question. Did the person accused of racism say or do something that indicates that race is the primary reason that someone or even something is the way it is. You see, when President Trump called out Baltimore for the urban plight of rats and trash piling up in the streets, is that a statement about race or a statement of the gross mismanagement of a once great city? Bernie Sanders said Baltimore was like a third world country, but no one called him a racist. The African-American mayor of Baltimore said that she could smell the rats as she toured parts of her own city. And the local paper, The Baltimore Sun, spoke of the disgusting filth and the rat infestation that had piled up. So is the mayor a racist? The local paper a racist paper? Congressman Elijah Cummings, who represents Baltimore, said his own city was drug infested. So is he a racist? If not, why not? I mean, if they say the same thing the president said, why would the media or other politicians call him a racist? I'm going to tell you the answer is really simple, because they think you're stupid and that you cannot see through the attempt to lie to you. Racism is real for a small number of very small-minded people, and we ought to recognize when it really does exist, and we absolutely should condemn it. But screaming racist just to create a distraction or to falsely label someone, that's a weak replacement for honest debate and seeking solutions for real problems. Yelling racism has become a cheap political trick, but it only works if you fall for it. I personally think you're too smart to be hoodwinked by such nonsense. Now, if the president really is a racist, here's my question. Why did most of the Democrat politicians take political contributions from Donald Trump when he was just a New York businessman? Why did they invite him to their personal social events or attend one 
or more of his weddings, because he's had a few. <laughs> Let's be honest. Now, does that make them racist for associating with one? Or do they really want us to believe that he wasn't a racist then, but somehow at the age of 72, when he was elected president, he also suddenly and without warning became one? Seriously? Look, the president can be rude, crude, and impolite. He's brash sometimes. I mean, he's even vulgar, but that's not racist. Under him, unemployment for people of color is at an all-time historic low. He has a long history of not caring about white or black. Quite frankly, he's got a history, mostly just seeing green. Now, <laughs> that may not be a good measuring stick for the value of others, but it sure isn't racist. Don't allow yourself to get lied to about racism. We need all of us to fight it, and we all ought to hate it. But we don't need to cheapen racism to mean everything, because then it means nothing. My next guest has released a compelling book to help people who don't read the Bible to consider the power of God, and it's called The Rational Bible, Genesis. And he's also the co-creator of an important new film that's coming out soon called No Safe Spaces. It examines the rising threat to eliminate our constitutional right of free speech. Would you please welcome back to our show, Mr. Dennis Prager. Dennis, I'm so delighted to have you back. You. Uh, you seem to be in the middle of everything these days that matter, particularly when it relates to free speech. What's happening in America? Governor, it is beyond belief, actually. It, it is the first time in American history, and it's pretty rare to have firsts, that free speech in, in the country is threatened to the degree that it is now. Just look at the campuses, for example, where it is almost impossible uh, to uh, hear a, a conservative professor because virtually none exist or they don't want to speak out if they do. And if a conservative comes to a campus, uh, when Ben Shapiro went to Berkeley, they spent $600,000, $600,000 on security with a guy with a, uh, an Orthodox young Jew with a yarmulke on. All of a sudden, he is a great threat. Uh, to uh, to Berkeley, uh, it, it's it's uh, when I go to campuses, I, I have <laughs> they provide for me. I take a picture at the where is it Colorado State. It looks like I was speaking to the Taliban in Afghanistan. That's how uh, armored the guys are. Uh, the guys who were uh, protecting me. I mean, it's but if, if the most horrible leftist goes to a campus, it is a non-issue. I mean, it's that kind of thing, I, I guess, that has given rise to uh, the film that you have coming out called No Safe Spaces that you and of all people, Adam Carolla have collaborated with. What a partnership. And tell us about the film and when it's going to come out. Well, he, he and I are a proof that values are what unite people more than anything else. Uh, and that's, that's why... Uh, in terms of values, I am a Jew, but I am much closer to a Christian like you than I am to, to a, a left-wing Jew. I mean, it's, it's just, just a fact. So it's all values. He was raised an atheist, uh, but, uh, and he was raised a blue collar, never went to college. I was middle class. I went to graduate school, but we have everything in common. And uh, it's a very powerful combination. Uh, he's uh, one of the funniest wittiest human beings I've ever, uh, I've ever encountered in my life. And uh, I believe, and I, I'm not saying it because I'm in it, I, I, I have watched it now four times. I will happily watch it a fifth time. It's that riveting. I can't wait to see it. I just know it's going to be absolutely blockbuster. Uh, I want to talk about the rational it, it Bible. Is, actually. Yep. This is something, you know, I don't right. know how you have time for all this. It's amazing what you're producing with a radio show and all the Prager University well, videos. Tell us about yeah. the rational Bible. What is, what's so rational about this one? Uh, I have, my road to God has been through reason. I don't say it's the only road to God. I know for a fact it isn't the only road, but it is my road. And I think that it is critical to use reason alone to explain the greatest book ever written, the Bible. I am, I, I know, uh, I'm blessed to know biblical Hebrew extremely well, and that's very important in being able to do this. I've been teaching it my entire life since I was 20 years old. 
And this is the culmination of a lifetime of teaching, people of every faith. Listen, if the Bible does not reassert itself as the source of the primary source of wisdom and values in the country, uh, I don't really have any optimism for the country. I, I'm going to be anxious to see how long it takes before Google decides to censor any mention of the rational Bible. And, and speaking of Google, uh, what should be done? Should it be By the a way, breakup? forgive me, Governor. Yeah, go ahead. You, you wait, go Governor, you, you, you don't know what you just said, how true it is. No, one I'm sure it is. One of the videos <laughs> that Google, one of the videos that Google actually placed on the restricted list was my video on the Ten Commandments. And when the, and when I was at the Senate a few weeks ago, and at the hearing was also an official of Google. So they said, so Senator Cruz said to him, why did you put Mr. Prager's video on the Ten Commandments on your restricted list? And he said, because it mentions murder. You've got to be kidding. But I guess you can Google any uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, uh, film and that's okay. What an irony. But the question is, what should happen with organizations like Google and uh, Facebook and Twitter that routinely and systematically censor content from conservatives and people of faith? Well, look, they, they want it both ways. They want to be protected from lawsuits, so they're, they're officially acting as a publisher. A publisher can decide whatever he or she wants to publish. They can censor all they like, but they could be sued for libeling someone, for saying things that are not true. So they said, no, 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 we don't want to be sued. So, they, so the government said, okay, fine, then you're an open forum. So they, they, they said, fine, we'll be an open forum, meaning that we won't censor based on ideology. So they want to be protected from lawsuits as a publisher, but they want to be protected as if they are, uh, or they want to be uh, protected as if they're an open forum. Uh, but, but they don't act like an open forum. That's the, that's the point. They, they have to have their feet held to the fire. You'll either be an open forum or we will rescind your right uh, to be, uh, not to be sued. Dennis, everything you have just said over the course of this conversation is why I absolutely love getting to visit with you. So thank you. And I'm going to tell our audience that Dennis Prager's book called The Rational Bible, Genesis, it's available now at all bookstores and online retailers. And mark your calendar for the upcoming film, No Safe Spaces. That's one you will not want to miss. You can watch the trailer, learn more about when and where to see it, at nosafespaces.com. Now, find Dennis Prager's radio show, his books, and the amazing Prager University videos. They are incredible and insightful, and they don't last long. So those of you with a short attention span, you will even be able to keep up with them, but they're brilliant. All of that at dennisprager.com. All right, Keith Bilbrey, we are not going to deny your freedom of speech tonight, so why don't you tell our viewers what else is in store for this evening? Well, coming up, anti-opioid activists David and Jackie Siegel, plus Christina Meredith rises from abuse, comedian Mark Christopher Lawrence, and country music's T.G. Shepard sings right here on Huckabee. Now, if you've been thinking about helping those who are hurting and in need without a home, whether it's at the southern border or the far reaches of the globe, you're not going to find anyone better to partner with than Samaritan's Purse. They work on the very front lines of disaster, poverty, displacement, and crisis. And they bring essentials like food and water, medical care, shelter, and the hope of Christ. Now, if you've been blessed in your life, why don't you pick up your phone or visit the Samaritan's Purse website and give back so you can help others experience your love and assistance today. Well, my next guests, their lives have been like a roller coaster ride. David Siegel was the billionaire king of the timeshare condo industry. And he and his wife, Jackie, were building the biggest house in America. The hit documentary called The Queen of Versailles captured the moment when the economic meltdown of 2009 rocked their world. They believe that film mis misrepresented their lives in a lot of ways, and it didn't show how they weathered the storm and prospered during the recovery. But all of their material success suddenly meant nothing when they got the shocking news that their teenage daughter, Victoria, had died of a drug overdose. 
What she left behind was a diary documenting her secret battle with opioids. The Seagulls have turned their backs on the business world and now devote their lives to battling the opioid drug epidemic that took their daughter and is taking the daughters of thousands of Americans in every level of neighborhood in this country. Would you please welcome David and Jackie Siegel. Thank you guys so much for being here to share Victoria's story. I know you called her Ricky, that was her nickname. 18 years old when she left. Too young. Way, too young. Way too young, she had her whole life ahead of her. I, I guess the big thing, I, I was reading through the book and, and one of the things that, that struck me was that you guys were blindsided by it. You had no idea the depth of trouble that she was in. Well, it's crazy because it happened right underneath our noses. And it just goes to show that the drug addiction is not racist. It's um, against wealth um, or anything. And um, one thing in the book is I really want it to be an eye-opener for other parents because it did happen right underneath our noses. We didn't see the, uh, the warning signs. And in here, we, from what we've learned over the past four years, um, we can see the warning signs and they're all in there. And when the parents read the, our daughter's diary, they can say, like, maybe my child has the same thoughts as theirs. I was uh, really impressed, David, by how just raw and earthy, because this is not something she was writing for the world to see at the time. This was her personal journey. So some of it's pretty graphic and pretty tough. Four years ago when she died, uh, I was totally naive about the drug epidemic. I had no idea uh, anything. I was the most ignorant person in the world. And uh, I thought uh, drug addicts lived under bridges and slept on park benches. I had no idea that the more affluent you are, the better chance that you do have a child that's using drugs. But four years ago, I knew nothing. Today, I'm probably one of the few experts on the subject in the country. And I'll tell you that everything I learned is in that book. And if people read it and have teenage children, this will save lives. Uh, that's the reason we put it out, not, not for fame or glory, but just to educate people on the drug epidemic. And for me as a mother, it was very hard for me to share my daughter's diary, you know, because it's just it's so intimate and personal. And, um, but it was her dying, or wish, it was, she had sent me a text message and, uh, before she um, died of the overdose. And uh, She could see it coming, couldn't she? She knew every day that she took a pill or uh, used a needle or whatever it was, that she was playing Russian roulette with the drugs. She knew she might not wake up that next morning. You know, yeah, go ahead, David. People don't realize just how bad the drug epidemic is. You know, we hear about the 31 people that were just killed in the mass shootings, but the same day, 200 people died from a drug overdose. Today, 200 people will die from a drug overdose. Tomorrow, it's like an airliner crashing with 200 passengers every single day. And we have to put an end to this. We have to through education, through speaking to these children, through drug testing. It all starts in middle school and it ends uh, with an overdose. And people don't even know that there's an antidote called naloxone that uh, we've now got distributed all over the country. It's saving thousands of lives every day. You got it in your pocket. He's got, in my he's pocket he, he if comes I can prepared. Know. We go everywhere no, I, with I it. I always I think carry, it's important for this people is to called know. Narcan. Okay. And someone could be laying on the ground, turning blue, one breath from death. The first responders or, or police put it in their nose, push a little button on the bottom, and within two to five minutes, they'll be sitting up telling you what they took. I mean, it, it's like an inhaler. You just put it in their nostrils they, and... It's called the Lazarus drug. It brings people, virtually brings them back from, from dead. And no one knows about it. it it's, it's sad that more people are not aware and that more entities across the country are not equipped for it. We got a law passed in Washington that provides over $1 billion that every first responder in the country carries this now, and they're saving thousands of lives. But why did it take us to have to do it? It should have been going on. This has been out 48 years. 48 nobody, years. And nobody knew about it. Yeah, I'd never heard of it until I read the book, I and I, I, I never no heard of it. it. I think I'm fairly 
in tune with a lot of things going on. But David, that's one of the things that I found so stunning about the story that you tell. Um, you guys were close as a family. You had a good relationship with your daughter, the normal teenage stuff, you right. know, uh, conflicts and resolution and all that. But th this was not like a hostile environment. She was a mixed up teenager, like so many are. And we sent her to a psychiatrist to get counsel. And she came home and I said, what happened? She said, he put me on Xanax. I didn't know Xanax from Advil. I mean, mm. it, that's how dumb yeah. I was about drugs. She became addicted to Xanax, but, um, um, and then after that, we never, she never has to go back to the doctors. Well, after her death, I found out she was getting pills from school. There from were other dealers kids. at the high school and they actually had pill presses and were making their own drugs oh my at home and bringing them to, to school. Probably in some cases, kids who couldn't pass 11th grade chemistry class, but they were manufacturing yeah. drugs and selling yes. them to their fellow students. It's horrible out there. David, let's also talk, you and Jackie, about the fact we have a lot of states now that are mm -hmm. passing laws for recreational marijuana. People are saying, that's not a gateway, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Absolutely a gateway. Okay, so, so you're... They start with marijuana, they end <laughs> up with heroin, cocaine, prescription drugs. We're losing our future Bill Gates, our future Steve Jobs. We're, we could be losing the cure for cancer. We're losing movies you'll never see and books mm. you'll never read. And it's, it's horrible. Our whole future generation we're losing because of these stupid drugs. And one thing um, I did come up with uh, after our daughter passed away, I um, had a girl follow us around with a camera and I created a documentary that I put on YouTube um, that, um, that shows like kind of the aftermath of us as parents, what we went through with the mm. loss of our daughter and how our family suffered and what we're doing about it. And I hope that that can be inspirational to other people. I think it and will be, Jackie, and, and there's no doubt that people need to, uh, to understand that this is not something that is gonna pass over your house. It could hit your home if you're not uh, fully engaged and alert, and that's why I think that their story and their candor has been so valuable. I wanna say my thanks and my prayers to David and Jackie Siegel. The book is called Victoria's Voice, Our Daughter's Losing Battle with Drug Abuse. Their website has a lot more information on what they do and the ways that you can get involved. So visit victoriasiegelfoundation.org. It's on your screen, you can jot it down. And you can also watch the Princess of Versailles documentary on Jackie's YouTube channel. She just mentioned it. That's what it is. It's the real queen of Versailles. Now, we've got a lot of good show left, and Keith Bilbrey is ready to tell you all about it. Well, news that will make you laugh, but in case you missed it, then author and activist Christina Meredith, the comedy of Mark Christopher Lawrence, and country music star T.G. Shepard performs on Huckabee. Welcome back. Hey, a sure sign that ice cream is going to the dogs to a church offering mini golf. That's right, mini golf. We have the news that'll make you wonder why on a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. Well, the dog days of August are upon us, so what could be better than a little ice cream to cool off with? I'll tell you what's better. How about some hot dog ice cream? <laughs> Our friends at Oscar Mayer have just put a move on the dessert business by premiering ice cream sandwiches with bits of real hot dog in them. That's right, no plant-based tube steaks in this delicacy. And the hot dog pieces are candied as well. Now, doesn't that sound like a real wiener? They partnered with New York ice cream company, Il Laboratorio del Gelato, to create the ice dog sandwich. You have no idea how many times I had to rehearse that. <laughs> They're doing this for the National Ice Cream Sandwich Day, if you didn't know we had one. By the way, it features, get ready for this, 
cookies as buns, as we had mentioned, bits of the candied hot dog meat, and a spicy mustard ice cream. Yes, our audience is licking their lips right now. Oscar Mayer's Wienermobile will be cruising Manhattan the week of August the 12th to distribute free samples. I wonder if there's any chance of them maybe running out of that treat. I mean, could there be anything worse that you can think of for a cool summer sweet treat? Oh, that's right. I know. French's Mustard announced a mustard-flavored ice cream available in select cities this summer. There's always that. Well, I hope I can catch up on all these exotic new desserts, don't you? That salami popsicle and the Snickers bars with relish can't be too far behind with all those great things going on. Moving on. Rochester Cathedral in England has opened a mini golf course to tee up younger generations. Now, the medieval uh, nave has been transformed for this summer to attract a younger crowd inside the church walls. Now, I was trying to figure out the scriptural basis for playing golf inside a church building. The closest I could get was 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, I fought the good fight, and I have finished the course. <laughs> it's most likely the only golf course ever where you can get a holy in one. <laughs> you got that, didn't you? A holy in one, yeah. I didn't want to bogey that gym, that's for sure. Uh, and it's going to be open inside the 1,400-year-old church building from August 1st till September the 1st, and daytime sessions will be free. Reverend Rachel Phillips, a priest of the cathedral, said she hopes that while playing adventure golf, visitors will reflect upon the bridges that need to be built in our own lives and in our own world today. Now, do you think the right reverend misheard the lyrics to that old rock tune and thought they were saying... Climbing the fairway to heaven. <laughs> All right, I best quit putting around with this story before I drive a wedge between me and the audience. Well, just like they told us in the old song, Louie Louie, we got to go now. But until next time, remember, we read the news. Well, despite our very best efforts, our studio audience is still laughing around and thinking it was funny. And it's a good thing for them because we've got some really great guests still to come. Keith Bilbrey, we're going to let you tell us all about it. Well, coming up from homeless to helping others, the story of Christina Meredith. Then we've got laughs in store with comedian Mark Christopher Lawrence. And country music legend T.G. Shepherd sings an Elvis-inspired tune. All coming up on Huckabee. My next guest was born into a family where she suffered years of abuse. She then bounced around the foster care system until she aged out of that system at 18 and lived in her car. That is, until she entered the Miss California pageant and won. Today, she's a foster care activist, mental health care advocate, a U.S. Army soldier, and is earning a political science degree. Quite an accomplishment. Would you please welcome the author of the book, Cinder Girl, Christina Meredith. Christina, I gotta be honest with you, when I look at your story, I see a miracle. I mean, an absolute miracle of your oh, yeah. life. I'm a walking miracle. <laughs> Nobody who had suffered through what you went through mm -hmm. in childhood is expected to be okay. Oh no, I, I should have been all the statistics that come out of foster care. I mean, 16% of girls end up pregnant at 16, 17% of boys in foster care end up in the prison system with a felony. 20,000 of them age out each year and become homeless like me. I mean, it's really a national crisis that no one's talking about, but we're changing that. What's wrong with the foster care system that, that we can fix? <laughs> <laughs> That's a long conversation, but in a nutshell, I advocate for two things. Mandatory trauma therapy, 
which can be implemented fairly quickly and produce immediate results. Because if we can break the cycle of poverty and abuse at an early age, if we can get them therapy at an early age, then we can, we can break the cycle of them aging out and ending up in the same cycle, which is this vicious cycle of being in the foster care system, being in the welfare system, being in the prison system. It's like this round and round and round we go. And then the second aspect is making after school activities mandatory for uh, high school youth age in foster care. Because I know when I was in school, I was going through all kinds of youth, all kinds of different homes, but I had ROTC mm. all four years of high school. So my master chief, my first sergeant, my captain, I, w I didn't have time to get in trouble. <laughs> what a great story. But at 18, you had to leave the foster system. Yes. That meant you lived in your car yes, for a while. I did. I couch surfed all through my senior year because I turned 18 the first semester of my senior year. And then when I graduated, I bought my two-door Chevy Cavalier named Sunny. <laughs> she was bright yellow like a school bus. And I lived in her for over a year. And I read my Bible every day, and I just, the Lord gave me dreams, and I knew that he called me for a purpose and that all of the things that I had endured and suffered as a child and as a young person were not going to be wasted. You know, the fact that you didn't quit, you go to California. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, I think you ought to enter the Miss California pageant. Now, that had to have <laughs> seemed one of the craziest ideas somebody was tossing at you. I was a tomboy, you know. I, I, I just... I. I didn't go to prom. I worked two, two shifts at Firehouse Subs that day. So I just shrugged it off. But then when I looked at the card at home and I looked at the pageant, I was like, wow, this can really allow me to write my book, to start a nonprofit, to be a voice for the voiceless. And I gave it a good college try. When you stood on that stage and they put the crown on you, I got to know, was there something just going crazy in your head and soul and saying, hey, Lord, we did it? Well, you know, the Lord is so kind and he's so gracious. And, and for me, I grew up without a name. My mother refused to call me by my name. She gave me other horrible names we can't say, right? And then she made my siblings call me those names too. And for years and years and years, I didn't have a name. My name wasn't Christina. And so the glory in the redemption that came from winning Miss California was they said my name mm. in front of everybody. And that's what I wept about was my name was now spoken and it was real and I was a real person. And then that gave a platform mm -hmm. to say, okay, I've got an opportunity to go out and, and now you can write your book and start the foundation. Yep, yep, now I can change the world because my suffering gave me credibility. Currency is experience, right? Yeah. And so I can take all the things that I endured and I wrote them in my book and I can continue to tell people that, hey, there's hope. There is hope even in the darkest of places. And that's the goal for me. I think your story is so inspirational because there, there, there are teenagers all over America who, mm -hmm. who think their life is tough and mm -hmm. maybe they got a mean mother. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what, what you went through. And I think when they see your story and read it and hear it, it sort of says to them, shake it off, wake oh, up, yeah. come on. Yeah, that's self-pity. It's not about you. It's about what the Lord's going to do through you. How did you keep from having that self-pity, Christina? Because, I, I mean, I don't even begin to comprehend how many times people were pounding you into the pavement, oh. trying to destroy your self-esteem, oh, yeah. destroy your worth. How did you have any glimmer of hope in all that? One time, my mother had just got done beating me up, and my uncle just had got done raping me. And I remember feeling so hollow but I also remember this moment where I looked up at my mother and I refused to be like her. Mm. I wanted to be loving. I wanted to be kind. I wanted to have a whole family. I wanted to do good to others. And I think at 10 years old when that shifted in me, it just put me on this path where I would endure and I would overcome no matter the cost. I mean, the, the, I dreamt when I was homeless at 18 and 19 that I was going to write a book. 12 years oh. later, I'm on a national book tour. You can't quit. Yeah. You have to fight for what God's called you to do. What you have experienced and how you have dealt with it is one of the most powerful stories of thank God's you. grace and just your courage. And I want to say thank you so much for writing your book and telling your story, but for sharing your life with us. Thank what you. a delight to have you here, Christina. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Christina Meredith. Christina's book is available everywhere, as it should be. I hope you'll read her inspiring story. And if you'd like to learn more about Christina, her foster care advocacy, and the foundation to help young men and women receive better in the foster care system, 
Here's how you do it. Go to ChristinaMeredith.org. ChristinaMeredith.org. Or you can also visit her at Facebook at Christina Meredith USA. Keith, I don't know what you could do to tell us what's coming up to match that, but I'll give you a shot at it. We'll try. Next star of Pure Comedy, Mark Christopher Lawrence, and country music star T.G. Shepard performs on Huckabee. Hey, have you ever wondered how you could become smarter, better looking, and reaffirm your birth-given sexual identity at no cost to you? Well, here's how. Sign up for my free newsletter at MikeHuckabee.com, and you should be able to attain at least two out of the three. Oh, by the way, while you're at it, sign up to follow me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee for up-to-the-minute takes on daily news and punchlines, some of which may even tickle your fancy. We'll see you on that interweb real soon. Well, my next guest is a wonderfully talented actor. You've seen him in hit shows like Seinfeld, Martin, and Chuck. He's also a very funny, I mean a very funny comedian. Would you please welcome back to our stage Mr. Mark Christopher Lawrence. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am Mark Christopher Lawrence. Uh, it's my birth given name. It's not a made up Hollywood name. You know, there's a lot of ho Hollywood made up names out there. Ving Rames, for example. Uh, I I've been black 55 years, and not once have I met a brother named Ving. <laughs> we like, as a people, we like to throw the, the Q around. You know, Shaquille, Shaniqua, Aquanetta. <laughs> I met a little boy the other day, Tyrone, with a Q. He said, my mama said, the cue is silent. I said, tell your mama the cue is stupid. <laughs> I was lucky. My brother named his kids after things he likes, cars. Cars he can't even afford, Porsche and Bentley. I got a little fat nephew, Hummer. My mother took my name right out of the Bible. You know, nice, strong, biblical name, Mark, New Testament, you know. Let me say this, if you use the Bible as a reference to name your child, you have a responsibility to read the chapter in which you found the name. <laughs> so that people can know and your child can know what you are saying with it. You don't want to get that phone call at, at kindergarten going, come and get him! Beelzebub is the devil. I love, I love being a comedian, and in my line of work, I shake a lot of hands, and uh, I can tell a little bit about someone by the way their hands feel in mine. You know, for, for example, a couple nights ago, I was doing a show in San Diego, and I'm shaking hands with this guy, and I could tell that he was a hard-working man. You know, he had rough hands. You know, maybe a manual labor, real, real rough hands. Hands so rough, they felt like stale oatmeal cookies. The whole time I was talking to him, all I could think was, I hope this guy doesn't slap me with these oatmeal cookie hands. <laughs> and then last night, I was here at Zany's, and I shook hands with this young lady after the show, and, and I could tell I wanted to hold her hands longer. Her hands were soft and warm and comforting, like, like a grilled cheese sandwich and hot tomato soup on a rainy day. <laughs> you know, she made me feel safe, like I was wrapped in a baby cheetah. You know, warm and comforting, yes, but with teeth. She could hurt me, but I knew she wouldn't. Now, I said all that to say this. You know, if we run into each other out there somewhere and, and, and we decide to shake hands, and you know you have something odd going on with your hand, don't just come up and stick it in mine without some kind of a warning. Because I don't have a whole lot of filter. Like, one night after a show, I'm shaking hands, this guy rolls up on me, he sticks his hand in mine, we begin to shake, and I could tell there's something odd going on with this dude's hand. My curiosity got the best of me, so I took a peek. <laughs> he had a tiny little baby hand with perfect little baby fingers and a perfect little baby thumb, but with hair on the back like a man. 
Remember the first time someone handed you a spork? <laughs> See, you can't just sneak a baby hand in on a brother. You gotta give me some kind of warning. If you know you got something odd going on with your hand, all I'm saying is, we all have something. Years ago, I had this big eight-inch afro. I shaved it to do a play. When I grew it back, I had a big hole in my afro. <laughs> so I don't judge. All I'm saying is, if you know you got something odd going on with your hand, warn me. Say, Mark, I'm coming in with a spork. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mark, welcome back. So good to have you. But you got to tell me, those shoes, man, I've never seen a pair of shoes like that. What? I want a close-up of those. That, that is one fine pair of shoes. Now, did you actually buy them that way, or did you have them? Someone gave them to me. They really? sent them to me. They went on my Instagram and said, hey, uh, we'd like you to wear these shoes. I was like, um, well, send me some shoes. I'll wear them. <laughs> I was going to call you Cinderella here because that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. You know, you do so much work as a comedian. Yes, sir. And that's how most of us know you from film, television, and, and stand-up comedy. Usually funny stuff. But but you also um, you're very into dramatic work. I, I think I'm a better dramatic actor than I am a, a, a comedic actor because to be a dramatic actor, you have to dig around in funny and and, and and dramatic stuff in your life to get to the emotional place you want to be. So I, I work harder at it. You know, the funny comes easy. You do a, a festival that this is the fourth annual Say No Bullying yes. Festival. Why yes. is that near and dear to your heart? Uh, well, you know, when I was a kid, uh, if you got bullied at school, you know, once you got home, you were safe. Yeah. And, and now, because of the Internet, you know, kids aren't safe anymore. It's like, it's like they get home, they turn on any mobile device or their computer, they're bombarded with the same bullying. It just keeps, it's a continuing thing for them, and they can't escape it. And, and, and kids are taking drastic measures, permanent solutions to temporary problems. Mm. You know, they're taking themselves out. And so it was important to me to try to help. Tell us about, you've got a uh, Pure Flix talk show called Pure Comedy. What's that? Yeah, Pure Comedy. It's, it's me doing, doing what you do, one-on-one yeah. uh, -on -one with stand-up comedians that are clean. Yeah. And we, we do the show on location and do some funny shenanigans at the location, and then we uh, go back to the studio and shoot the comics stand-up. And I'm so grateful you have not found it necessary to go into raunchy and filthy humor in order to have a career and to make people laugh. Well, I started doing comedy in the 11th grade. <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't go into raunchy or filthy <laughs> because my mother <laughs> led with a heavy hand. Yeah, well, we're glad that uh, your mom has gotten you on the right path. But we're also glad to have you back and hope that you're going to be a regular with us because we, uh, we truly love having you. I, I would love to come back. I want to come back and sing with that band. Hey, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. As long as one thing, you've you got to recruit uh, a certain talk show host to be the bass player when you sing. Who's the bass player? Moi. Oh, I didn't know you played the bass. Oh, now he doesn't have to. Who said I did? <laughs> hey, you can keep up with this very talented man by watching his talk show, Pure Comedy, on Pure Flicks, and you can find out more about his new film, other great comedy efforts on his website. It's markchristopherlawrence.com. Follow Mark on Facebook at MCL Actor Comedian. Okay, Keith, now that Mark has put a smile on even your face, why don't you tell us and give us a little insight into what's coming up in the show. Trust me, Mark, we all know he plays bass. He reminds us weekly. Up next, T.G. Shepard performs I Want to Live Like Elvis right here on Huckabee. That is an Elvis tune all shook up, and I'm kind of shook up about our next guest because he has charted over 20, think about that, over 20 number one hits, including Loved Him Everyone, Last Cheater's Waltz, and Devil in the Bottle. His latest song is 
one you're going to love. It's called I Want to Live Like Elvis, and it's Priscilla Presley approved. So in a moment, he's going to sing it for us, but right now, would you please welcome one of our very favorites, T.G. Shepard. T.G., <laughs> great having you here. Thank you, Governor. Hello. You know, uh, we are uh, right in the middle of that time when we're observing the 42nd anniversary of the death of Elvis Presley. And I think, T.G., in some ways, he's more popular now than he was. Oh, I mean, I can't believe it's been that long. I it, mean, really, yeah, I mean, it went 42 so years ago. Yeah. That was I mean, before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear Well, you know, uh, Elvis Week is coming up at Graceland. Yeah. And uh, we're always very honored to be involved in whatever way we can be. And, of course, recently I have become involved with Elvis, more with Elvis Radio. I was going to say, you've got a, a, a channel now, yeah. a show on the Elvis channel on Sirius XM that you do every week. That's it, pretty cool. It is cool. Every Friday from 2 to 5 Central, uh, it's the T.G. Shepard Show on Channel 19, uh, live from Graceland. And in the past, uh, we're into our sixth week. Um, so far, our guests have been everyone from Barry Gibb to Lionel Richie to Kit Rock to... Oh, One of these days, you'll get some really named guests. Who like, knows, uh, like Mike Huckabee. Yeah. You know, That's really. incredible, though, the number of people. But, I mean, everybody loves Elvis, and he's touched every entertainer that's ever graced the stage. You ask any entertainer who comes on my show how Elvis has influenced them, and each one has a story. Everyone has a story of what Elvis has meant to them in their career. But very few people have your story, T.G. I think it's one of the most incredible stories. I don't know if all of our audience knows, you virtually grew up at Graceland. <sighs> Tell us how well, you even met Elvis and this friendship, because you were one of the closest people to him. I was a runaway at the age of 15. I went out to chase this dream that God has let me catch. Huh. And uh, I wound up in Memphis uh, chasing it. And late one night at a skating rink, uh, I'm leaving after being there. And uh, the lights go out. And uh, I'm thinking they're closing it up. And a couple of Cadillacs pull up. And Elvis gets out from behind the lead car and walks right up to me. And he says, where are you going? <laughs> I said, well, sir, they're, uh, they're closing the rink down. He said, oh, no, they're opening it up for me. <laughs> And he said, we play a little game in here called Kill, and I'm a man short on my team. Will you come in and skate with us? And wow. I did for several hours. That was the start of a friendship that lasted until the day he passed. This song that you're going to do tonight is one, I, I can't tell you how much I love this song because I'm an <laughs> Elvis fan to begin with, and what a great time for you to release it right around uh, Elvis week. Um, hey, as T.G. Shepard is getting ready to sing, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you, how you can get a hold of his music, including this incredible song you're about to hear. For information on TG's tour dates and his new country record, Midnight in Memphis, be sure to go to his website, tgshepherd.com. That's tgshepherd.com. Now, here to perform his latest hit, I Want to Live Like Elvis, is TG Shepherd. Shoot out a TV set Ride a 
Harley with my entourage Have enough cars to fill a parking garage Learn karate Make a movie in Hawaii I wanna work for the CIA Get a badge from the DEA I wanna be friends with a president I have a respect for the government Graceland, 